the Arizona Coyotes are lost in the desert and it's not clear where they're going and when they're going to get there. It's Friday, April 7th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Winnipeg Jets became the Phoenix Coyotes in the 1996-97 season. They played in Phoenix in the Suns Arena until moving to nearby Glendale in 2003. They kept the Phoenix name until the 2014-2015 season when, even though they were still playing in Glendale, they became the Arizona Coyotes. From when they moved from Winnipeg, their attendance was not amazing, but it wasn't abysmal either. They usually averaged between 13 and 15,000 fans per home game. Their performance on the ice was similarly not great. Since leaving Winnipeg, they have either missed the playoffs or lost in the first round every year except for two. Put another way, they have won three playoff series in 27 years. And they've only made the playoffs once in the last decade. Not great. For what it's worth, they weren't much better when they played in Winnipeg. And the new Winnipeg Jets, who moved from Atlanta in 2010, have had their moments, but also not a ton of success. So that's just to give you a feel for this franchise as they are heading into the 2021-22 season when things completely went off the rails. In December of 2021, the city of Glendale threatened to lock the Coyotes out of their arena unless they made good on over $1 million in unpaid back taxes. The team paid up shortly after the warning and said, so sorry, seems there was some kind of accounting error there. But the team in Glendale already had a dicey relationship and the taxes issue may have been the last straw. Glendale refused to renew the team's lease, which ended last season. So the Coyotes needed to find somewhere to play, and they couldn't afford to be too picky. They ended up in Mullet Arena at Arizona State University, which has a capacity of 4,600 for hockey games. That's less than one-third of the second-smallest NHL arena, which happens to be Canada Life Center, home to the Winnipeg Jets. So the Coyotes went back to college, but when did they get to leave? Well, they came up with a big plan for a fresh start. They would build a new arena in Tempe, Arizona, and not just an arena, housing, restaurants, retail. They were going to privately fund the whole thing to the tune of $2.3 billion. That includes around $70 million in environmental remediation because they want to build next to the former site of a sand and gravel mine. You would think that people would generally be happy to have that land used for something useful, but that would not include the city of Phoenix. Phoenix is right next to Tempe, and its Sky Harbor International Airport is right by the border of the two cities. They have a deal about what can and can't be built near the airport, and Phoenix says that the housing portion of the Coyotes project violates the deal. While the two cities were negotiating around that, it also became clear that this arena was not necessarily a slam dunk in Tempe either, and so the city decided to put the decision of whether the Coyotes can build there to a voter referendum, which is scheduled for May 16th. The Coyotes reached a deal with the airport that it would protect it from noise-related lawsuits related to the development, so keep that in mind if you're thinking of moving in, but Tempe did not agree to not build more housing or to not oppose expanding the airport at a later date. And that's when Phoenix sued to block the project by asking Maricopa County to rescind the land use agreement that allows it to happen. The Coyotes development firm, Bluebird Development, Weird name, seeing as a coyote would probably eat a bluebird if it got the chance. Anyway, their firm just countersued Phoenix for seeking to sabotage the development. They're claiming $2.3 billion in damages because that's how much they're planning to spend if the project goes through. Why are the damages equal to how much the team is going to spend? Because when you sue someone, you can name any damage figure you want at the beginning and figure out the real number later if the lawsuit actually goes anywhere. 
So now the Coyotes are waiting to see if the courts block their project or if the voters reject their project. And if neither of those things happen, not next year, but in a few years, they can finally graduate college and move on to playing in a real arena. If they don't, I have no idea what happens to that franchise, but it wouldn't be all that crazy at this point for them to pick up and move to Atlanta, where the new Winnipeg Jets used to play, closing the randomest three-city loop in sports. Let's see what else is happening out there. MLB is looking for a sponsor for its pitch clock. Sources told Front Office Sports that the league could get over $10 million from a brand like Rolex, Timex, or Omega. Sticking with MLB, the league filed an emergency motion in court to compel Diamond Sports Group, which owns the Valley Sports Regional Sports Networks, to make their overdue payments to the Cleveland Guardians and Minnesota Twins, according to The Athletic. Diamond also owes money to the Arizona Diamondbacks. The company appears to be trying to maintain its relationships with the teams that bring them more money while not paying the ones that don't. We'll see how that works for them. And the men's NCAA final between UConn and San Diego State drew 14.7 million viewers, which was a record low. Up next, I spoke with the president of Intersport, Brian Graybill. Intersport is one of the companies that seeks to turn big sporting events into full experiences for fans and companies looking to impress clients and make deals. We'll have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash front office. All right. I am joined now by Brian Graybill, president of Intersport. Welcome, Brian. Hey, good afternoon. Good to be with you, Owen. So let's just start really basic. What is Intersport? What do you guys do? Yeah, Intersport is a media and marketing firm. Um, we have uh, two sides of our business that make us a little bit unique. One side of our business, which is basically half of our revenues, operates like a traditional, more traditional structure of a full service agency. So whether it's sponsorship consulting, all the way down to performance marketing metrics, experiential events, uh, content creation, uh, we do all those things and, and really compete with the major publicly traded gold holding companies like IPG and Endeavor and uh, Octagon, etc. The other half of our business makes us uh, a little bit unique relative to some of those others, though, with the exception of perhaps Octagon and Endeavor, where we own uh, and operate our own intersport properties. So um, I'm actually standing at one of our physical properties, which is the Double Eagle Club down here in Augusta, Georgia, uh, that we created 31 years ago and run a big hospitality operation out of there for mostly corporate clients. And so, you, you, as you said, you're at the Double Eagle Club, which is uh, something you've been doing at the Masters for, I guess, multiple decades now. Um, the Masters, we just ran a story on on Front Office Sports about how the get-in price right now is $2,700 or in that neighborhood. The highest prices uh, for all four days is around $90,000. This is a very particular clientele. Um, 
how do you uh, tailor to to that particular um, population? Yeah, it's it's we run a, a white club. It's cliche, but we run a white glove experience here at the Double Eagle Club. Uh, we're catering mostly to corporate clients that want to entertain their key stakeholders, customers, clients, prospects, etc. So when you're running a, a corporate-led uh, uh, property, you know the economics tend to be a little bit different versus direct-to-consumer uh, opportunity. Now we do have some individuals that are participating and and leverage the Double Eagle Club. We're we're fortunate enough to be right across the street from Augusta National. I could I could uh, I could get a, a wedge over the trees onto Augusta National property, uh, which is really important for our guests because they can get easily come back and forth throughout the day. Um, we have uh, food and beverage all day long. We are, we're open all day. We've got tons of TVs. We've got a golf simulator here with, uh, with a, a, an instructor there that gives people lessons. We do special events here. So it's an unbelievable experience. We also you know, provide people with housing because, as you, as you well know, there aren't enough hotels. Um, the, the whole downstream economics of the Masters is, is fascinating. Obviously, Augusta National makes a lot of money, but uh, the homeowners in, in the area pay their mortgages for the year This with this one week with people renting houses. And you've got the Uber system and the vendors. You can walk up and down Washington Road, which is where we are currently sitting right now. And people are selling anything from, you know, bed sheets to hot sauce. And, of course, John Daly is there, you know, mer- hawking his merchandise, as he always is. Um, and he's he's become a fan favorite. So, you know, it's it's really about it's really about knowing your clientele to your point, understanding what's important to them. This is a hospitality experience, in my opinion, the Masters in general, unlike any sporting event on the planet. Um, there are great hospitality opportunities everywhere. But what's unique about Augusta is uh, you go to the Super Bowl and we love the Super Bowl. NFL's our p- partner of ours. So I've never disparaged that experience. It's phenomenal. But you're going to a restaurant to have dinner, which is pretty traditional. You're staying at a hotel, which is pretty traditional. Here you're staying in a beautiful home with four or five or six bedrooms with your clients who are also staying there. You can get up in the morning. You can have coffee on the couch. You can grill steaks in, in, the, in the backyard. You can have a dinner catered in. It's just a much more intimate experience that I have actually personally seen transform relationships because of this unbelievable bucket list experience that we were able to provide via the W Club that changed the, the outcomes for our clients and the partners with whom they were trying to build relationships. It is a really, really special experience at Augusta. And speaking of those those downstream effects, about how many people would you say you employ for, I mean, really for the four days, but it's probably more like at least a week of, of preparations around this. Um, so yeah, about how many people are, are on the payroll for this one? Yeah, I'd say we have probably between 40 to 50 people working on this event in some capacity. Now, not all of them are actually taking care of our guests. The, the, the vast majority of those are, but we also have some of our business development people, the people who lead our golf division are down here having meetings, entertaining, talking to players, um, which is a great opportunity when we're recruiting for things like the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Augusta is a great place to go over to the players' homes and talk to them and make sure that they're they're bought into what it is we're trying to accomplish in Detroit. So we run a pretty big operation and, and uh, it's, we, every year we make it a little bit better. We make it incrementally better. Like the layout, as I'm looking over here, over our huge outdoor patio, we've changed a bunch of things around. We've got a great merchandise tent for people to you know buy really inexpensive at cost um, apparel that they'd like. We've got, uh, of course, we host uh, scotch nights and wine nights and cigar rolling and, 
all bunch of the all the accoutrements that you would love or expect from a, a super high end experience that most people will you know experience once in their lifetime. We also have the the broadcast partners of the of the um, the masters using our hospitality venue here. So we've got ESPN here. We're hosting CBS, um, and CBS has an an enormous operation down here, um, an enormous operation to produce you know all the various feeds that are going to be distributed around the world. Mm-hmm. And switching gears a little bit, uh, you guys are also now working with the Association of, of is it Pickleball Professionals, professional pickleball players, the APP. Um, we are. Pickleball is, you know, it's been kind of the big narrative in a lot of ways over the last couple of years in sports. It's gotten huge. Uh, what's it been like to ride that wave? It's It's been unlike anything I or anyone else has experienced in their career. Uh, we this, this sport went from relative obscurity and maybe was associated with some an, an older generation that may have been playing in the southeast um, at the villages. And it, it's, it's certainly happening there, but it has become as much of a sport as a cultural phenomenon. Um, it has re-engaged people that have maybe uh, their body gate isn't in a position where they can embrace sports at that level. But all the way down from eight-year-olds up to 80-year-olds, this is a sport that is embracing everyone. The APP is we're all about pickleball for all. We run a phenomenal tour, professional and amateur tour stop. We have a 16-tour stop domestically. We're doing a, an international series that we're actually going to, we believe, knock on wood, it's going to be hosted in Bermuda. And we also run uh, a bunch of international events with, with the English Federation, the Spanish Federation, um, Mexico, Canada, etc. So it is a global sport. The U.S. is the most developed market by far, but other areas of the world are starting to embrace pickleball as, a, as an incredible sport. We just did a pickleball participation report by the APP, and what we concluded that there's nearly 50 million adults in the United States, 5-0 million adults playing pickleball in the U.S. That does not count some of the fastest growing cohorts, which is 8 to 18, because a, a lot of high schools and grade schools and certainly colleges are embracing pickleball. So the, the number of players just in the U.S. is north of 50 million. And um, the biggest governor on the growth of the sport is access to facilities. There are so many tennis courts that are unfortunately um, underutilized. And so a lot of developers, a lot of country clubs, park districts, etc., are converting some tennis courts over to pickleball. And then they're building dedicated pickleball only venues all around the country. They just can't build them fast enough to, uh, to meet the demand. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been pretty incredible to to see the, the rise of pickleball, and yeah, now every time I pass a tennis court, I feel like at least one of the courts is is been converted to pickleball. Uh, well, Brian Graybill, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, um, and uh, happy to come back anytime. It was, it was great to spend time with you. On. That's it for today. Let me know how you're feeling about the Masters this year on Twitter at Owen Poindexter or at our mailbox at today at frontofficesports.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday.